Welcome to Good Life. I'm Dean Wilson. So glad you joined us. Great guest today. Kirk Cameron is with me. He's a filmmaker. He's an actor. He's a dad. He's a husband. He's kind of an on-fire guy. You're going to like it. Kirk Cameron, The Good Life, is next. Welcome to Good Life, I'm Dean Wilson. So glad you joined us. You can always find us at goodlifetelevision.org. And we have full, the full interviews, some incredible people. Um, great stories of inspiration, overcoming, young, old, famous, not famous, athletes, public servants. We've had a, we've had a great mix of people. And so goodlifetelevision.org. And then you, if you don't wanna watch the full interview, you can watch what we call power clips. And that's kind of, we kind of mine some of the gold from the interviews. So encourage you to check it out. I'm really excited about my guest today. Kirk Cameron is with me. Kirk. Hey, great to see you, Dean. Welcome. I'm so excited to be here. In fact, I think we should just switch the whole interview around because you were a heartthrob back in the day. <laughs> Dean I, Wilson. I think my wife yeah. had posters of you on her wall fan when club? she was 13 years old. Yeah. She was president of your fan club. Yeah, fan club. What well, was the name of that show? It's a uh, lot. Different Strokes? No. Uh, <laughs> Um, I wasn't that Silver Spoons? What was, no. What yeah, was the name of that I show? I forget, actually. I, I forgot, too. Yeah. We, yeah. It's hard. Anyway. I mean, it's hard. Anyway, the great girl, to meet you. Yeah. I want you to sign something for me a little bit later, I'll okay? I'll do that. I'll do that. Okay. My wife was a card-carrying member of his fan club. She's sitting right over there. I'm a little insecure about this, but I'm going to just plow through it. Uh, Kirk, what, Kirk was an actor. He's a filmmaker. He's a dad. He's a husband. And he was most... Uh, famously known for his role in Growing Pains, which we watched. Uh, he was Mike Seaver, and he was nominated for two Golden Globe Awards. Uh, I think I was nominated for three, but we can leave that alone. Yeah. Um, so he's a great actor, great filmmaker, great guy, and I'm happy to have you. Tell us what it was like to be a child actor. Nine years old cereal commercial. Take us back. Nine year old cereal commercial. Well, <clears throat> you know, you were right there with me back in the day. <laughs> Um, but, you know, for, I, I guess for me, it was the only uh, childhood that I had, so it, it wasn't so strange for me, right? I, I don't have another nine-year-old life to compare it to. So for me, to be on a McDonald's commercial was like, well, my mom took me down to this audition and I got the part. And um, interestingly, around 10 years old or so, uh, I was actually, well, maybe a little older, probably like 13, I was actually in a movie with Kurt Russell and Robin Williams in which I had a girlfriend, or at least a girl that I liked, uh, named Tr and the actress's name was Tracy Gold in this movie that I was in with Robin Williams and Kurt Russell. She later ends up playing my sister on Growing Pains. Oh, really? Yeah, so uh, my whole life is, it, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of crazy, but I don't have another, uh, I don't have a different normal to compare it to to think it was weird. Right. For me, it was just, I went to auditions and I ended up working on TV shows and and it was totally normal. And you made fifty thousand dollars a week. Well, <laughs> just an, just an average fifteen-year-old. Well, you know, people <laughs> like to throw numbers around like that. It doesn't always uh, work out that way. Um, there's lawyers and then there's there's managers and there's agents and there's thieves and there's all kinds of things. So, uh, you know, that's why I'm wearing my Vans and not my Louis Vuittons. <laughs> Perfect. So you're you're. Growing pains from 15 until, I guess, 22 or so was was yeah was, yeah that, that was, sounds right that was yeah. the range, and something happened to you. You had an experience where you met God. You were 17 years old. I read you were in a car on the side of the road. What happened? 
so, <clears throat> uh, well, if, if, if I could back up just a little bit, um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home or, or a home where we talked about God. There was no real faith that was a part of our, our, our family life. But when I was about uh, 14, I started growing pains. And then when I was about 17, uh, I met a, a girl on the set who played a, a cheerleader at, uh, at Dewey High School on Growing Pains. And uh, this actress invited me to go meet her family. And uh, it was a Sunday that she invited me to come over and they went to church. So I was actually an atheist at the time. I went into the church not because I was interested in God, I was just interested in this girl. And I had to, I was an actor, so I thought I could play the part of a Christian, you know, just be a good boy and close my eyes, you know, and pray when they prayed. Uh, but I was captivated by the message from the minister. And he had this big Bible, and, and, and his name was Chuck Swindoll. Really? I didn't know who he EV3. was. E.V. Free. E.V. Free in Fullerton. I didn't know who he was. Chuck Swindoll. Wow. Right? Like, I don't, I'm an atheist. So he gives this message and he's talking about the, you know, the almighty God and the creator of the universe and he's perfect and his character is pure and, and how man uh, chose to rebel against God and went down a road of sin and, and death and how he sent his son on a rescue mission to redeem us. And he talked about heaven and hell and, and, and the need to turn to God in faith. And I left the church that day and I asked this girl's father all these questions and about God, the Bible, Jesus, other religions, science, what about all this? And he answered a lot of those questions. And then he said, Kirk, if you really want to know who God is, and if you want to know if God is real, he said, you know, he's not just an idea. Um, uh, someone didn't just create him. He's a person. He knows you. He sees you. He hears you. Um, why don't you come to him, but you got to go to him on his terms? And uh, those terms are humility and faith. Uh, I didn't have much of either one. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the important guy on growing pains. I, I thought I was so important. wasn't particularly humble and didn't have any faith in God. And, and that was really smart because I remember that when I was uh, driving in my car one day, I got thinking about the fact that I could get hit by a drunk driver. I could, get, uh, I could run a red light and maybe die. And if I found out that what that man said was true and I find out that there's a God in a heaven, I knew that I would not be going to heaven. And so I decided that I would pray and do what he said. So I parked on the side of the road and I just closed my eyes. Uh, again, I didn't, I didn't know why you close your eyes when you pray, but that's what everybody in church did. So I thought maybe this sends the prayers all the way up past the, the roof to heaven. And I just said, God, if you're there, I wanna, I, I, wanna, I wanna know. If you can hear me, would you show me the truth? I don't know how you're gonna do that, but you know, and then it was like, and I need to say I'm sorry for the wrong things that I've done and I've never even said thank you for my life. You know, I'm breathing this air and I've got all these great things and I've never said thank you. So would you please, you know, make me the person that you want me to be. I didn't have any theology to speak of. I didn't believe in the Bible. I didn't think Noah could really fit two of every animal on the ark. Uh, I didn't know what Bible version is the right one to read. I just had this sense that if God made the universe and he had kept me alive for 17 years, I needed to change my attitude. And so uh, I, I opened my eyes and I didn't see a vision of Jesus on the windshield. I didn't feel the Holy Spirit rush in through the air conditioning vents and uh, you know, whistle in my ears or anything. I just had this sense that, that maybe God heard me and I wanted to learn more. And so I started going to church with another friend. Somebody gave me a Bible, I started reading it. And it was like, this is, 
this book is like, it knows me. It's telling me who I am and why I'm here. And I loved it and I kept going. And, and that was the beginning of my spiritual journey with Christ. And uh, one, one thing I'd love to, to take just yeah, a couple more cool, seconds cool. to add is uh, uh, the pastor of the church that I was going to at the time, Grace Community Church, John MacArthur, uh, I, I had later met him and he had said to me, Kirk, if anybody ever asks you, how did you find God in Hollywood? He said, I want to remind you of something very important. He said, now listen, you didn't find God. He wasn't lost. <laughs> you were, and he found you. Mm. And that resonated with me and yeah. has kept me very grateful wow. because I do recognize that I'm not the celebrity in this relationship. He's the Almighty, mm. and I'm grateful that he decided to save me. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what happened. That is beautiful. And that was 30 years ago. 33 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I've joined Club 50. Yeah, yeah. Are you there yet? I like the... No, I'm 46. Okay. But I'm right on your tail. Okay, well, um, it's, a, it's a good club. Yeah, You'll thank you. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers, yeah. You like the mugs? I do like We feel mugs. a little bit big time. I like this. The yeah. Good Life with Dean Wilson. I, as long as you can autograph that for me a little bit. I'm better. happy to do I'm that. I'm going to take it to I my wife. She's yeah. going to squeal like a 13-year-old. <laughs> happy to do that. She can join the fan club. Oh, can't, oh yeah. great. Let's get back to my questions. We've got, we've got the peanut gallery over yeah, here. They're laughing. Why are they laughing? I told him, he says, you, you get nervous with all these people. I said, the people don't come unless you're here. So, <laughs> I don't believe uh, it. I don't believe it. Firefly Foundation. What does it do and why? And tell us about it. So when, when, when my wife Chelsea and I were working on Growing Pains, we played boyfriend and girlfriend on the show. So I actually married my on-screen sweetheart. Uh, and in the, those early years, we were meeting a lot of kids through the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, the Starlight Foundation, and, and these were children with cancer and cystic fibrosis, terminally or seriously ill, and they were granted a wish, and, and for some, their wish was to meet the cast of Growing Pains. So they would come down, we would meet them, and it was just like, wow, you know, um, the devastation and the weight and the seriousness of having a life-threatening illness like that, it, just, it, it couldn't be, we felt like you couldn't compensate for something that serious with a photograph or a, or a autograph. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, what else could we do? And so I think my mom had the idea, why don't we create this experience that the whole family could come to for a week to get away from hospitals and chemotherapy and needles and doctors and just make some family memories that would last a lifetime yeah. as they're going through this dark and difficult chapter of their life. So we just found a place in, in Georgia, it's called Callaway Gardens, and we invited six of the families that we had met that first year, the whole family, and uh, we got the airlines to donate tickets, and we got Nike shoes to donate shoes, and Clinique makeup, and book companies to put together some gift baskets, and we brought the six families there, and we said, welcome to Camp Firefly. We just want to take care of you for a week so that you guys can be together and do fun things and they've got so many fun things to do there uh, from you know lakes to water ski and wild animal parks and time around the jacuzzi to hang out and talk wow. and mom's makeovers and dad's golfing days just to make memories not just with the sick child but with the dads and the moms and the siblings who often get left yeah. 
right. left out because all the attention has to go to the one who's right. so seriously ill. So that's called Camp Firefly, and we've been we've been hosting that every summer for thirty years. Really, I can't believe it. Thirty wow. years every summer, Seems except like for this last summer because of uh, the restrictions. Right. Wow. Now, yeah. right now, you're doing a hundred nights. You call it the American Campfire Revival. Yes. You're doing a hundred nights on Facebook, Facebook Live. Tune in. About twenty-five thousand people are live. And hundreds of thousands are watching this. I've seen amazing? the views. It's incredible. So there's an appetite for what it is you're doing that I'm sensing in this time. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the American Campfire Revival. This is day, what day are we on? We are on day 20 of the American Campfire Revival. That's the 20th day of our 100-day plan to bring our homes and our nation back to the God who covenanted with our forefathers. And so I want you to bring your friends, your family, uh, call them up, tell them we're having church in the backyard. This is actually somebody else's backyard. You can tell this isn't mine. And uh, I'm up in Montecito, California. It's actually absolutely beautiful up here this is an incredible part of god's creation and uh, in a friend's backyard he graciously lent us his campfire and his american flag so that we could continue on day 20 of our 100 day plan we want to get off the defense we want to get on the offense and recognize that god put us here for a reason and he's working through you and he's working through me as the family of faith to bring about positive change and blessing and liberty and healing, not only for us, but for our kids. So gather around the campfire. We've got about 13,000 people who are with us so far. Why did you decide to do it? What are you trying, what are you believing about what's happening right now in the, in the country and with this kind of stirring that's happening and yeah. spiritually? Well, I, I don't know about you, Dean, but for the last, I don't know, year ever since the virus hit um so by saying that we're i know i understand we're dating this this interview but but man it's like you couldn't have convinced me a year and a half ago that the things that have taken place over this last year were going to happen i'd say you're the craziest conspiracy right. theorist ever um but it's it's happened it's like it's and i think after the election, there are so many people that are so discouraged and frustrated and, um, and in despair. And it, it seems as though we've, we've resigned ourselves to just watching the news, you know, just pulling out our phones and going, who are they going to cancel today? You know, what, what, what's going to come down the chute tomorrow? You know, uh, what's true? You know, oh, this is giving me hope. Oh, it wasn't true. Uh, and I'm thinking, instead of waiting for one person like the president to roll out a hundred day plan to fix the nation, why don't you and I come up with our hundred day plan? So I say, hey, Dean, what, what's your plan? What's the plan? And, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't have a plan. They're like, well, right. I don't know, maybe... Uh, Maybe this person will come up with a plan or maybe that right. person will come up right. with a plan and then we'll join in. And I was like, well, 
in the meantime, I'm going crazy here, wringing my hands, wondering what else or how we're going to react to somebody else's plan. Let's make up our own 100-day plan. And I know I wanted to include prayer. I wanted to worship and recognize God for who he is, the sovereign of the universe. Uh, he's working all things together good for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And I want to go back and find out what made this nation so free, so prosperous, so healthy, so blessed, so that, that millions of people want to come here every year. They'll, they'll break down walls, right. they'll crash through barricades to get here and to, and to break the law to get here because there's something here they want so much more than what they have over there. And, uh, and that's why I picked up my friend Marshall Foster's book and I said, let's go. A hundred nights of campfires in my backyard and we're just gonna pray and talk and, and learn about the history of the American covenant our forefathers made with God and, and so how that affected our nation. Book. That's, that's the, the title of the book. book. You want to grab it? Yeah. So, so, let's, so this is a, a book called The American Covenant. This, this copy is from 1981. My, my, my father went to high school with Marshall Foster, known him almost 60 years. Um, if you had to describe what is the American Covenant, mm -hmm. could you talk about that for a second? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, Take Marshall as much time as you want. Marshall, forgive me for if, I'm, <laughs> if I'm butchering your opening paragraph in the book. The idea of a covenant is, is unfamiliar to many of us. Yes. We think of a contract, right? And, and, and if you think of it, if you and I were to write a legal contract, it's kind of based on this idea that you might really like not hold up your end of the deal. Right. And so we'll go to a judge and here's the contract. So it's based on mistrust. Right. And um, uh, a, a covenant is was something that, that, that God would make with guys like Abraham or that people would make with one another. And it was a sacred promise. It was something that they, it was like, my life is on the line here. I'm gonna fulfill this sacred covenant with you. Nothing will change this. And uh, God made a covenant with Abraham and uh, made, made covenants throughout history and promised his blessing and protection. And there's then man's responsibility in that covenant as well to, to honor and obey God. And so I would say the American covenant reflects this idea that our founding fathers, and even before the founders, the, the forefathers and our foremothers, the pilgrims, they recognized that God is in control. He's the blessed controller of all things. And that freedom and truth are gifts from the Almighty. And if they were going to be able to enjoy those gifts and build a life on those gifts and their children were to be able to enjoy the, the, the fruit of, of those things, they would have to enter into a right relationship with God and honor Him and obey Him. And they believed that God would bless and protect them. They also knew that if they turned their back on God, that God would remove His hand of blessing. Uh, and, and you could see that as judgment, you could see that as discipline, as in the way that we would discipline our children because we love them. Right. But it would definitely uh, be difficult. And so I think that's why our nation has been blessed for so long. Mm -hmm. For 250 years, for 400 years since the Pilgrims, we've been this pinnacle nation yeah. that is unlike any other, yeah. offering 
the full flower of Christian liberty to people regardless of your race, regardless of your gender, regardless of your economic backgrounds and whatever, we have opportunity and liberty here that's unprecedented. Um, but I think a way to explain what we're experiencing now in our country is to say that we've gotten away from this sacred covenant, this promise and this relationship with God. Maybe not you individually or me individually, and certainly there's faithful individuals in the country, but as a nation, as, as a corporate body, are we honoring God when we are... Uh, not if loving I, one if another? I could, not what? Not loving not one loving another? Not loving one another when we're... When we're I, I, I hate to say it, but I can't help it. You know, I've got four adopted children who are this close to being aborted. And we're, we're flushing a million babies down the sewers of our nation a year. Are we honoring God and His creation in our schools, in our politics, in our, our morals, in our spirituality, in the movies and the music that we create that, that shape the hearts and minds of young people. And if we're not, maybe that can explain why we're experiencing the difficulties that we are right now. And maybe there's hope that if his people will actually humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and get back to seeking him with all of their heart like our forefathers did, maybe he'll hear our prayers and he'll forgive our sins and he'll heal our land. This morning I, w I was opening this book. It's funny you said that. And I, I was reading this passage from Second Chronicles 33, the King Manasseh, okay. who was a bad guy. So he, he, he was 12 years old when he became king and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, detestable practices. He built high places. He uh, erected altars to Baal and these false gods. So he did. He was bad, bad, bad. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people. They paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria. So finally, he was taken prisoner. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. Mm. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty, listened to his plea, brought him back to Jerusalem and his, to his kingdom. And, and then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Manasseh came to his senses. It was a good move. Turn back to the <laughs> was, Lord. A, I mean, that's an example of God. Like he didn't hold it against him what the guy did, but he was looking for that heart. Yeah. And when Manasseh yeah. found the heart, everything yeah. was good. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I mean, that's so encouraging, right? So I think like maybe if I, if I can find that place of, of, com of coming wholeheartedly back to God and you can find that yeah. place and our, and our families and our communities can find that place. But I think we've got to turn this off a little bit because a lot of what we, we see and hear coming out of this is telling us that, oh, you know, keep, keep God out of, out of the public square. Keep, don't get God mixed up with politics and the government and, and all of that stuff. But I think, there, I don't think we're getting out of this cultural crisis we're in without a wholehearted revival of the people of God. Without turning back to him, I, I, I think I yeah. think we're going to be getting flushed down the uh, the drains of judgment here. Yeah, the the news is awful, and, and the fighting. I mean, there's no blessing each other. If yep. you're if you're if you're a Republican and I'm a Democrat or vice versa, there's not a whole lot of blessing 
one. No. Maybe you're, they, you think of them as an enemy. Yeah. What are we supposed to do with enemies? Yeah. He told us. What if, What if we did that? Yeah. In Washington. Love them, right? It would be an interesting change. That's right. That's right. Um, and and one of the things that really it gets me, and, and one of the reasons why I'm I'm motivated to want to do this 100-day uh, plan, the American Campfire Revival, is because the narrative that is just being sung by the choir of the the media complex is so negative and so divisive. Yeah. And I think I know where all that's coming from. If you if you read things like Saul Alinsky's How to Create a Socialist State, you look at Rules for Radicals, you look at these kinds of things, you realize that there are lots and lots of people who hate what this book is all about and what this book is all about. And what they really, really want is to come in and take control of everything and uh, use guys like you and me and all the resources in this country for their own agenda. So much of what we see coming through the media, it's like it's designed to, to get us fighting yes. and to get us divided. Yes. And you know that, that phrase, um, you know, divide and conquer? Uh, I think I misunderstood what that meant for a long time. I used to think it was like, hey, we want to, uh, you know, um, go accomplish something together, so let's, let's divide up our efforts and, and together we can conquer. No, 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 divide and conquer is actually, no, divide us as people so we're not united anymore, then we're much easier to conquer. And, and so you have this yeah. race fighting against that race, yeah. you got the rich against the poor, the white against the black, men against women, gay against straight, and pretty soon you got everybody fighting. And I go, wait, why, why are I'm, I don't have anything against you because you're gay or you're black or you're a woman or you're rich or you're poor or you're tall or you're short or whatever. Like, why are we all fighting? Because I think you you probably want what I want. I wanna I wanna be able to have a safe home and I wanna yeah. be able to like have a good job so I can feed my family and, yeah. and I'd like to be around neighbors who who care about other people, you know, like yeah. we, we all want that. Right. But if if third parties can divide us and get us fighting, we become very weak and we're easily conquered. And so I want to unite us around the life-giving truths of God's Word and prayer and praising Him and acknowledging His sovereignty and believing that He will work out all things for good for those who love Him and He'll fight our enemies if we will just do what He says. Yeah, beautiful. And, and civilizations have fall, that have fallen countries or structures whatever it's because of within yeah it's not being yeah. conquered right so I mean if, if America is if something's going to change for the yeah. worse it's going to be because of the I believe because we turn on each other I think you're right I mean I, well, sometimes to help me understand big picture things I bring it down small and I say what's the best way for what, what's the most likely way for my family to fall apart it's probably not that like the mailman's gonna seduce my wife. That's probably not the way. It's gonna be, I'm not self-controlled in some area yes. of my life yeah. and I become unfaithful and that's what will destroy my marriage and that's what will destroy my home and, 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 and wreck everything. I don't, need any, I don't need an outside influence to wreck my home. I know that the most likely and powerful place that that comes from is gonna be my own sin. And I think in America, it's the same thing, like, you're, like you just pointed out. And the devil's coming for guys like you and me and, and all of us. I mean, that's the strategy. If you can ruin yeah. the family, you, the, I mean, we, the family is the essence of what we yeah. need. I mean, what you right. say? I think so, too. We need good families. 
think we need good families. And uh, Pastor had said this once, um, you know, when God began the, the, the human race and civilization, he didn't start by building a church. He didn't start by building a government structure. He started with a man and he started with a woman and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And here you have a starting with marriage and you start with family. Yeah. And then you raise up children of character who can then become presidents of foundations like yourself, uh, teenage heartthrobs like Dean Wilson. Sure. And, uh, you know, inspire millions around the world. We need, we need more of gonna, you, Dean. You're not going to let it go. <laughs> you're going to stick with this. It's fine. It's, I mean, it's true. Um, hey, you're in charge of the editing. You can keep whatever you I like. I think we'll keep that, JP. <laughs> keep the heartthrob thing. I need a little boost on the, in that area. <laughs> Loving enemy. We've covered all this. Loving enemies, true religion, widows and orphans. Yeah. Fear is a big problem. You talked about this mm. the other night on the campfire revival. We were oh, talking yeah. about fear. There's so much fear in the, and in the news, <laughs> speaking of my phone, I got to pull this out real quick, but there, there's so much fear in general and the news is so terrible. And so here's a meme I got, I read. I just turned off the news and put on a serial killer documentary to relax. Yeah, that's about the size <laughs> of it, right. I mean, the, the, the news is putting fear into everybody. And so we're oh, yeah. all afraid. And I'm afraid your side's going to do this to our country. And you're afraid that I'm going to, my side is going right. to do this to the country. And that fear is driving the wedge, wouldn't you say? Evil, evil, evil. Fear is the, historically, fear is the invisible enemy that allows tyranny to destroy liberty. So this is what they did in Germany, right? Um, the Nazis would say to the Jews, you're not safe. There are people out there who wanna come get you. And so we need you <clears throat> to get all your stuff and move over here to this neighborhood because you're not safe here. And they would move out of fear. They would w voluntarily go. And then, well, why are you building this, this, this fence around us? And why are there guards now standing outside of our house? And why do I have to wear this, this golden star? And why do I have... Well, because you're not safe. We need to be identifying you so that we know who to protect from the bad guys who want to hurt you. Yeah, but, but why do I have to get in this boxcar now and go over here in the middle of the night where no one knows where I am? Well, because you're not safe. They found out where you are. Now we're going to take you to a safe spot. And out of fear, they willingly comply with the very things that have destroyed their freedom and end up killing them. And what are we being just fed constantly here? What, 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 what did Stalin feed people? What did other people, other tyrants feed people? If you can get people sick with the fear virus, no. they stop thinking clearly, they don't see the truth, and they're just in survival mode. I'll do anything to stay alive. And now you're in fight or flight mode. And I'm either gonna fight everybody because I think you're coming after me, or I'm, I'm, gonna f I'm in flight mode and I'm just, I'm gonna get out of here. Yeah. I'm just scared, I'm gonna hide. And you see people, unfortunately right now, like everybody's on edge. It's like a tinderbox politically everywhere, right? Yes. And it's like, you voted for him? You voted for him? Oh my gosh, you're my enemy. Yeah. You're destroying everything. Or it's, I'm so scared I haven't left my house in 10 months because there's a invisible virus that is trying to sneak in through the cracks in, underneath my door and, and we're all gonna die, you know? And, and if you don't have a mask on, you're my enemy. 
I mean, and, 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 you know, and science goes out the window and common sense and wisdom and, and trusting in the Lord can go out the window. Fear does a lot. Fear is just... And the a, opposite is, the opposite of fear, as you talked about, is perfect love. Perfect love. Talk about that. Yeah. In John chapter 4, I think it is, um, Jesus gives, I think it's either Jesus or, or John, I can't remember who's actually saying this, that perfect love casts out or drives out fear. And so the idea there is that if we, rather than being fearful of our circumstances or fearful of people, uh, and by the way, a lot of, a lot of the, um, the terrible parts about fear is just fearing fear. Like if I know I wake up in the middle of the night with like panic attacks and I start thinking about that right now and, I'm, and I fear the feeling of fear I'm gonna get later, it produces fear in me right now. And so it, it just makes it worse. So fearing fear produces fear. And instead, the Bible says, perfect love casts out fear. So if, if I can trust in God's perfect love for me, if I can have confidence in God's mature love for me, then I can say, I can look those things that, that, that I'm afraid of in the face and say, you can't touch me without first getting permission from my father to, to to come into my world and nothing's coming to me without going through his loving hands first. So bring it. What do you, what do you got? Bring, bring it to me. Is it COVID? Is it cancer? Is it communism? Uh, uh, nothing can come to me except what comes through my father's hands because he says he's the blessed controller of all things and all things are working together for my good because I love him and because I've been called according to his purpose. If I can have that attitude, then my fear goes away. I'm not trying to run from the fear. I'm not trying to stop the fear. I'm just, I'm just concentrating on, on being confident in God's love for me. And he says he'll drive out the fear. I'm not there yet. That's where I want to be. That's incredible. The guy that was walking me through that model for defeating fear, his wife, Ruth, contracted brain cancer she needed to tell her mother the diagnosis. Her mom came over to their house and Jay's waiting in the other room and just sort of peeking around the corner as, as his wife shares the news with her mother that she had terminal cancer. And her mother said to her, sweetheart, isn't it wonderful that before the creation of the world, God knew that you and I would be having this conversation and he has provided everything that you need to take perfect care of you during this time. And it's going to accomplish the, the desires of your heart. And that conversation led to them praying together and he even saw them laughing together. What he thought was going to be the bombshell destroy the mood of the day turned into this beautiful scene and never once did his wife say why me she had this incredible confidence in the perfect love of God for her and she ended up passing away sometime later and he said it brought her closer to God she prayed more than ever and all she wanted was to be with the Lord and she got exactly what she had always dreamed of of being face to face with Jesus and then Jay her husband he contracts cancer throat cancer. And it was because of him watching his wife trust in God's providence for her 
that he said, I'm going to trust in the same God my wife trusted in. And he said, and it, and it worked. It, 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 it absolved the fear. Mm. And today he's cancer free, praise the Lord. God didn't deal with him the way he dealt with his wife. But at the end of the day, he says, it's the same God taking care of me perfectly the way he took care of her perfectly. And, and, I'm, and he's a much better script writer than I am. I would have said, healer, right? But God right. says, no, I, w- I want her here at home. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and yet he's leaving me here. And all of this is working together for our good. And when we get to the end of the story, we're going to understand it perfectly. Yeah. I'm like, that's the kind of faith I want. That's so good. I want that. That is so good. Wow. Transformed hearts. You always talk about we need to go on offense. You're, you're talking. You say that every, almost every campfire. We need to go on offense. I got to hear something new to say. No, 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 no. Stick with it. We need to go on an offense of love. Mm-hmm. Is what you're talking about. A, a, a love offensive. Yeah. Um, what does that look like? Marshall Foster in the book The American Covenant. He he talks about the army of compassion being the most powerful force to change the world, the army of compassion. And that's what Christians have been throughout history, true Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the soldiers of the Lord fighting for the kingdom of God, these are people who are fighting on their knees. They're fighting uh, to serve. They're laying down their life to help other people. And um, sometimes that looks like a battle, maybe like, the, the, uh, like we read in the Bible, these uh, times where evil must be overthrown and defeated. But other times, it's, it's self-sacrifice. It's, it's the blood of the martyrs that, uh, what's the phrase? The blood of the martyrs water the seeds of, right. of revival or, right, or, or right, something right. of that sort. Yeah. And I think that's what we need to do. We need to, we need to stop looking around and going, oh, it's getting worse. The rapture's gonna be here by Tuesday. Let's just put our head between our knees and just you know, say, you know, beam me up, Lord. I, I'm ready to get out of here. Instead of crying in our Chick-fil-A soup, having the last of our, of our Christian, uh, you know, soup, let's, let's do what the pilgrims did and say, wait a minute, we, we have a battle plan that is fueled by faith in the God of history who's, who's proving to us that, that the good guys win and the bad guys lose. We just have to stick around long enough to see the end of the story take place on, on, on the stage of the world. And, and we're important characters. We're in the middle chapters right now. So let's make a 500-year plan, get on a little boat, and go to a place where we don't know how, how we're going to make it, but God's going to show us the way. Why don't we do that right now? Let's get on the offense instead of being yes. on the defense. Let's make a 500-year plan in 2021 and change the world. What's stopping us? I'm in. Yeah, me too. Let's figure something I'm out. In. I'm, I'm, I'm in. It's, yeah. it's, you're an ins- kind of inspiring guy. Well, I, you know what? Turns out. Well, I, you're very kind in what you're saying, but, but it's like Marshall Foster's inspiring and George Washington's inspiring and, and William Bradford's inspiring. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we can read the stories of what they did and that inspires us. And if you get out of the fear mode, you, yeah. can, you can risk take. Yeah. You're a risk taker, I get the sense. With your movies, with your... I want to be. I want to I be. You want to go further? I, I want to be a, a risk taker, but you know, by, by nature, I'm a, I'm a worst case scenario 
kind of guy, you know? Like, really? Yeah, I'm always thinking worst case scenario. What's, what, 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 what could what happen could go here? Wrong? What could go wrong? Um, and I'm always trying to like uh, mitigate those, those things. But, you know, I'm learning that uh, a lot could go wrong and a lot does seem to go wrong, but there's somebody who's superintending this whole thing. And just when you think Frodo and the Fellowship of the Ring has no chance against Sauron and, and Gollum, that they're just outnumbered, they're outgunned, there is no chance for these, these underdogs. And then against all odds, at the very most unexpected moment, like miraculously the tables turn and they find a way and they have victory. And you're like, oh, that was amazing. And, and we're in this story right now, and uh, maybe you're Frodo, maybe I'm Sam, and uh, we go, oh, if only I could take that guy out of power, if only I could just, you know, just, just remove him from the story or her from the story. But if Tolkien had removed Sauron from the story, would that have made Lord of the Rings a better movie? No, that would have ruined the whole thing. There'd have been no need for them to, to, uh, to grow in character, to have courage. And so maybe everything's just how the God of Providence has ordained for it to be so you and I grow in character. Mm -hmm. and, and when we least expect it, we're gonna see a turn of events that's gonna blow our mind mm -hmm. and go praise, praise to the author of this story. And uh, I just you. want people to, to become friends with the author so that they can have that perspective on life and realize that they were made on purpose, for a purpose, and they're on the stage of the world right now to play an important role. And if, if we can figure out what that is, then I think we've, we've, we're in the home stretch. That's good life right there. I mean, you just described yeah, it. Yeah, that's the good life. That's knowing good knowing life. who you are and yeah. why you're on the stage at this moment. And suffering is part of it. Yeah. And suffering breeds perseverance, character, hope. Yeah. And hope doesn't disappoint. You know, we had, we had a brain injured daughter 19 years ago. She had a huge stroke in the womb. And she wasn't supposed to live, walk, move, eat, nothing. Mm. And it's a miracle what's happened. She's, she's the light of our wow. life. And, and because it reminded me what, what you just said. Someday we'll know. Somebody told me when, when she was really little, someday you'll understand this. And I'm like, okay, well, right now it sucks. Yeah. You know? I get it now. She's changed our life. We've learned more from this girl who had half, two-thirds of her brain wiped out than anybody else, period. She teaches us wow. every day. But that's a redemptive story. He didn't heal her. I wanted him, her healed now right. in right. the ICU. Heal, please. Didn't happen. And then I discovered 19 years later, I wonder who actually needed the healing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it's way different than I would have thought. But it's a God story. He was in charge the whole time. Yeah. It didn't sneak up on him. Right. Right. Her brain injury did not sneak up on no, him. No. He didn't. He wasn't surprised. He didn't think, oh my gosh, what happened? Something went wrong. Yeah. No. He's, he, he knew. For good. Yeah. For good. I, this I think, is very I think, exciting Dean, of people like, uh, think of people who could say things like, like Helen Keller. Can you imagine being Helen Keller? For those who don't know, she was blind. She was deaf. She was mute. How do you, and she's brilliant. Right? Yeah. She was amazing. She, she, this is a woman who's inspired millions of people and she couldn't speak, she couldn't hear, she couldn't see. How do you even function in a world yeah. of total darkness and silence? And, 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 uh, and yet God used her 
in an amazing way. Or think of Johnny Erickson Tata, yeah. who dives uh, into a lake and has paralysis from the neck down. Yeah. And she's been in a wheelchair for 50 years. One of my heroes of the faith. I think that if, if Hebrews chapter 11, the Faith Hall of Fame, yeah. if that ever uh, gets, gets an updated edition in heaven when we get there and the Lord's updated it, I think Johnny's there, right. gonna probably be there next to, you know. And Ken probably too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and yet they would say, Johnny has said, she says it all the time, she'd say, I, I'd rather be in this wheelchair knowing Jesus than be on my feet without him. And it's hard, and she doesn't understand all of it, but anybody who knows her and the impact she's made on the world says, I, I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't have wished it on you, but I, but I get it. Look, look how you've changed so many yeah. people around the world. Right. It's amazing. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you about her later in our lightning round, so you just ruined Oh, okay. That. You ruined that part of the interview. Sorry about that. <laughs> You're almost married 30 years. Hollywood's not known for great marriages. Mm. <laughs> I've noticed. Yeah. What has been, what have you learned along the way that for somebody who's newly married, what would you say about mm. marriage? And then I want to get to your kids. Your wife is always right. Your wife. <laughs> um, what have I learned about marriage? Um, well, first of all, I, I, I don't know if this is, uh, you know, if, if, if it's fair. I, I'm a little, I've got an amazing wife. I have this, she's, she's like, I think I'm gonna find out one day she was secretly an angel and you know, she was just disguised as a, as a, as a woman. And, um, and I, I think what I've learned is, um, well, I think a lot, of, a, a lot of us get married and um, why do we get married? Well, it's like, Wow, I love the way I feel when I'm with you. You like what you're feeling with me. Let's keep this party going for 50 years, right? Like, I don't want to be without you. And then the honeymoon comes and kids come and things change and you go through some tough times and financially or health or, or poor decisions. And, you know, you realize, wow, like th these are two broken people who have come together and we've got some work to do. And you kind of go, what happened to the way we felt? Um, I think that marriage turns out is this wonderful school where if you know the Lord it teaches you how to become more like Jesus it teaches you how to die to yourself because if you don't learn that in marriage it's over you're done if you if you don't learn to die to yourself and say this is more about you than it is about me. I'm here to serve you. You're not here to serve me. I, I'm I've, like Jesus said, right? I didn't come to be served. Uh, a lot of guys have that attitude, you know. You're my wife. You know, this is when I want my I dinner. Five o'clock, hot meal, right? <laughs> no, I, I've come to serve you, right. and I've learned that marriage is where, man, it's where the it's where the gospel is everything, and you learn to live and love more like Jesus, or you're done. And like, I need stakes like that sometimes, right? Or I'm not gonna change. Right. It's easy for me to stay lazy and complacent yeah. and apathetic and go like, I'm fine with me just the way I am. But marriage doesn't let me, doesn't give me a pass like that. Mm. I've got to learn how to be less selfish. I've got to learn how to put my wife before me or I, I've got a strong, I've got a strong, uh, I've got a strong wife 
you know, she's 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 a, she's an Italian Catholic uh, who's come to know Jesus, and you know, I mean, she she talks with her hands, and she's loud, and she's everything, and and uh, and so you know, I've I've learned that I've got just this wonderful, priceless treasure in my wife, and she deserves something much better than me, and I want to become that guy that can live up to what she deserves. Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way. And, and, and I think marriage is the school that can teach us mm-hmm. how to do that. Mm. And that's part of like the design. I, I think mean, so. Yeah, yeah I, I, think, I agree with that. You've adopted four kids. What has that journey been like? I've heard, I mean, adoption's a wonderful thing, but I've heard, man, there can be some tough yeah. stuff. What would, yeah. you, what would you say looking back kind of on your this adoption journey? Mm-hmm. So Chelsea and I have six kids and my wife is an adopted child herself. Oh, she is. So she grew up uh, with adoptive parents together with her brother who also was adopted. And so w- when we got married, we were married for about six years and then we decided, hey, let's, let's, uh, let's, have, let's have some kids. And we had a conversation and, and, and thought wouldn't wouldn't it be great to adopt some kids? Uh, we want to be parents. There's car- parents who need moms and dads. Let's talk to somebody. And so we did. And uh, we adopted a little boy. We named him Jack. And a year later, we adopted a little girl named Bella. And then a year later, Anna. And then a year later, Luke. So we adopted our first four kids before we had uh, two natural born kids. Uh, and, and, and that happened when one day my wife came to me and said, honey, um, there's something wrong with the, with the bathroom sink. Could you go check it out? And uh, I'm not a plumber, but I, I said, of course, sweetheart, I'll have that fixed in five minutes. You know, strapped on my tool belt and, you know, and uh, like Bob the Builder and walked inside there and started examining some pipes and traps and knobs and uh, looked at the handles. And I saw this little pregnancy test and it said positive. And I was like, I mean, it was like, you know, out of the blue, like no context. And I was like, honey, what does this mean? She's like... I'm pregnant. And so uh, nine months later, Olivia was born. And then about a year and a half after that, the sink broke again. <laughs> and uh, James came along. So now we have six. And adoption has been great. Has it? We've loved it. Um, sometimes I like to say we forget which ones are adopted and, and, and which ones aren't. Um, mixed race, black, white, boys, girls. Our kids are now grown. Uh, they're from 23 down to 17 years old. A couple of them are married. They've moved out of the house. And adoption's just been always a special part of our kids' lives. It was never sort of, uh, oh, something we're trying to like, let's not talk about that. Or it's never been weird because it wasn't weird for my, my wife. And she always explained to them, God brings families together in just the right way. You know, sometimes children are growing inside of a, uh, a woman's uh, belly but God knows that she's not able to be a mom right now and so he's preparing a mom and a dad over here like he did with 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 me and your dad and and then he brings this child over here and then and and you were meant to be our son Mm. you know and and he does this in all kinds of ways and that's how he puts families in the world together Mm. so it was never weird for us um and 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 I love that my wife had great insights because she was adopted herself that's, uh, I didn't know that. That's that's wonderful. Yeah. Just talk talk to young people for a second. 
So there's this millennial. Thing. I've tried. I've got six young people in my own family, okay, and they so don't do listen to me. Okay, well, I don't, I'm, like, I'm not going to be <laughs> able to do very well. Present here. company excluded. But I mean, who do you? Who do you? What What do you say to somebody who's starting out in this climate? I mean, maybe you've already said it in this interview, but but if you were giving counsel or you were mentoring an 18 year old kid who is trying to find his way and is coming yeah. into the, 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 we're in a pandemic. We have everybody's fighting there's riots they're burning the cities down in the summer there there's what do you say to to a young person who's starting out right now well that's a good question i, I don't know to be to be honest i i think i'd, I'd want to put some more thought into it i, I don't have a, a ready answer for that um i feel like these campfire revival meetings are me trying to dis discover how to turn things around and I and I do believe it's going to be young people who are going to turn things around not 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 necessarily uh, you know the the 50 and over crowd I think that we're the wisdom that they need and we are the ones who can take hours and hours to sit down and read through the scriptures and we're in, in, we're interested in history now because we now we finally realize it matters yeah. you know when you're 16 you think like what what do I care about what happened back then yeah. you know but but we can be the, the wisdom that, that pours into them. And so I'm trying to discover what the best way to communicate to young people. Um, one thing I know is that they wanna know, who am I? Why am I here? Do I matter? Am I an accident that evolved out of some, you know, some goo billions of years ago and I don't really count. So suicide is really not off the table for me, you know? Uh, or am I here for a reason? Did somebody make me? Does somebody love me and think I'm important? And, and will I make a difference in this world? I know that they want the answers to those questions. And that ultimately is where the gospel and the word of God come in and, and, and answer those questions in spades. So, so I think we've got to start there. Yeah. Do you have a favorite passage? I like the whole thing. I, I, I can't really come up with a good passage that sort of stands out, but um, I bet you do. I have a favorite verse. What's your favorite verse? Well, I was going to try to find it, but I can never find Colossians. Colossians 1.13. See, now, he, rescued, now, he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought mm. us into the kingdom of the sun he loves, in whom there is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's a rescue story. Praise him. Pass the offering plate. We should. We're, We're having church now. I really like you. Well, hey, I think thanks, we should be friends. I think we should be friends, Fellow too. Fellow heartthrobs. Hey, I thought of a verse. I thought of a verse I like. You're going to okay, like this one. All right. Ready? It's, I, I believe it's John 12, 30 to 31 or 32, right around there. He said, Jesus said, now is the time for the judgment of this world. And it's interesting because before that, remember he said, God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but to, that the world through him might be saved. But Jesus said, now is the time for the judgment of this world. And the prince of this world shall be cast out. And I... When I am lifted up, speaking of the manner of his death, 
lifted up on a cross. When I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Mm. And the reason I love that is he's saying, the God of this world is about to be judged and driven out, cast down. And I'm going to be lifted up and then I'm going to draw all people to myself. So to me, I'm like, there was a massive power shift in the heavenly places. Mm. It went from darkness being the dominating force to the morning star, the son of God being lifted up. And of course, he does die on the cross. He's buried. He's raised from the dead. He ascends into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And now he's ruling in session with the Father and the Holy Spirit, pours out his spirit into your heart and mine. And now he's drawing people from every nation around the world, young and old, to himself. And like, it's working. He's, 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 the kingdom is growing. It's not shrinking. Yeah. It's winning. It's not losing. Yeah. And, and he said, Isaiah says, of the increase of his government and of his peace, there shall be no end. There is no post-Christian era. You know, how, how would that memo, I, that memo never made it to heaven. Um, it's a post-Christian era, Jesus. No, there's no such thing. We, we're just... We're, we're just in a, in, a, in a cultural downturn here in America uh, while there's revival breaking out, you know, underground in China or in South America somewhere else. And we have to remember that the trajectory is up, up, up to victory for the Son of God. Yes. And uh, yes. so I, I, I love that power shift verse that says, yeah, no, Satan, not, not anymore, me. And I'm drawing everybody to myself. Amen. My favorite hashtag is God is good. God is good. God is good. Good life. Good life. It's all coming together here at the end. Amen. Kirk, thank you. Thank you. This is fun. One uh, teen heartthrob to another. High five. Yeah, that's right. We're not allowed to high five, I don't think. Thanks for coming. Thank you. See you next time. <laughs>